0: Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Y'all have to forgive me if I'm a little nasal today. I've been fighting a cold all week. But it's okay. I love getting a cold because I I get to take my favorite medicine, NyQuil. So my head feels like it's floating on a balloon above my body right now. So if I'm a little loopy, that's why. So um, as you know, the high holidays are upon us. And the rabbi needed a break in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So I'm filling in this week. Um, So for those of you who are unfamiliar with our congregation, if Simkat Yisrael was like the Star Wars universe, Rabbi Tony would be Obi-Wan Kenobi, and, and I'm like Chewbacca, I, I, I'll show up occasionally and bellow of gibberish for a few minutes, and then you won't see me again for ages. So anyway, uh, show of hands, who here has a Facebook account? Where is my PowerPoint? It does not work. Something's happening over there. I don't know. Maybe. No. I think it needs batteries. You know what? I don't need a PowerPoint. So, who here has a Facebook account? It, all right. At this point, it's easier to count the people who don't have one. I mean, I'm just the worst with technology. This is my phone, it, it flips, and, and even I have a Facebook page. I haven't actually updated it since 2009, but I do have one. So, another show of hands. How many of you would say that you were active on Facebook? Like, you know, who regularly posts little pictures or quotes and checks up on often on what their friends are posting? You know, I used to do that, but I stopped a long time ago because the whole thing was starting to make me uncomfortable. The problem was, wasn't that I didn't want to know what was going on in my friends' lives. The problem was these people sounded less like my friends and more like advertising executives for their own lives. I I had this one guy I'd known since high school that I had to unfriend because every single thing he posted was carefully constructed to inspire the maximum amount of envy from everyone who saw it. And everyone who's ever been on Facebook can identify with this feeling, right? We all have that one friend whose life is impossibly perfect and you know, you know, and like, you know, nothing, nothing ever goes wrong with our lives and I'm sorry, I lost my, I lost my thing. Loopy, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, they, they, their lives are perfectly exciting. You kind of want their septic tank to just back up on them or for them to pull their groin or something just to take them down a peg. But you can't take that stuff too seriously because most people are painting a picture of their lives that have absolutely nothing to do with the reality. There are people whom I know to be profoundly miserable and yet if you look at their pages, their life looks like a yogurt commercial. You know, they're, they're sitting around a bonfire on a beach with 12 of their friends and they're drinking wine, and it's like the greatest night ever. And then you talk to them two weeks later, and they're like, well, the divorce went through. you know." So why are we so intent on creating a perfect outside image of what our lives are like? You know, I'm not above this in any way. A few weeks back, I led a three-day backpacking trip over 32 miles of the most difficult sections of the Appalachian Trail. It was this really amazing trip. So here are some pictures from it, you know. You know some awesome stuff. You know n- nice views. Everyone knows when we were all starving. We had a picnic. You know, it was, it was just really great. You know what, what didn't make it into this photo album was let's see. Uh, one of our group twisted his ankle the first mile, and it got worse and worse every day until he had to sit down and just scream in pain. Uh, another, guy got got blisters so huge he had to duct tape his feet together. Or, or when I was vomiting from heat exhaustion after our water filters broke and we had no water on the hottest day of the year. Or when we ran out of food, or when we got caught in a storm, and all our sleeping bags got wet. You know, listen, I loved my backpacking trip. I discovered a lot about myself on that trip, but the full reality of it didn't make it onto Facebook. So right now, we're in the middle of the days of awe, the 10-day period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I think this time is the very antithesis of all this Facebook stuff. In our daily lives, we're always trying to present this largely false image of ourselves to the world. But on Rosh Hashanah, we're standing completely naked before God. We are reviewing our lives lives as they actually are, not as we like others to think it is. For one week, we don't polish our image. We break it down. We question our actions and decisions. And instead of spending time focusing on how other people see us, we take a long, honest look how we see ourselves. Because, believe me, it's not just other people that we're trying to fool. I think we spend way more time lying to ourselves than we do to others. But since Rosh Hashanah is a time for brutal honesty, I'd like us to take a few minutes right now to really examine a part of our lives that I think most of us are fooling ourselves about. So, everybody take out your imaginary paper and pencil. You're going to take Jared's quick guide to learning the awful truth about yourself. It won't take but a few minutes. It's just three steps. Everyone ready? All right. Write down in just a few words what you did last Thursday. You know, leave out the sleeping, the eating, going to the bathroom, et cetera, and just be totally honest. Nobody can see this but you. It's imaginary. Everyone done? All right. Perfect. You're half done. So maybe your list looks something like this. You know, 7 to 5, working. 5 to 7, you're on the internet, you know, catching up on Facebook. 8 to 9, you're on the phone with one of your buddies. And 9 to midnight, you're just in bed, you know, playing on your phone, going through Netflix, things like that. The average day. Now, on a separate piece of imaginary paper, write down in just a few words the five things that are most important in life. Roughly in order. So if I were to take a random guy off the street, his list might look something like this. You know, serving the Lord, raising my family... Being loyal to my friends, growing my business, preserving freedom. And if you're a bit younger or more liberal, your list of priorities might look like this. Being loyal to my friends and family, advancing my education, finding my soulmate, making the world a better place for the future, and learning to play guitar. No, No, these are both those perfectly fine lists. Now, above this list, write the word, I believe in. This, in effect, is your philosophy In life. If someone asked you what your philosophy of life was, you could read that off. I believe in being loyal to my friends, in advancing my, I believe in advancing my education, and that sounds pretty good. But here's step three. Go back to your log of things you did yesterday and rearrange it in order of time spent from most to least. So for our hypothetical person, it'd be working, then playing on the iPhone, then browsing the internet, then talking to a friend. Right now right? I believe in at the top. That is your real philosophy of life. You can take the other piece of paper and throw it away. It's meaningless. Listen, I'm not trying to judge you on your last Thursday. I almost lost an entire Wednesday trying to get a hat stay on a rabbit, but, uh, you know, if you think that that was just an off day, go ahead and tally up the last month. If you're like me and almost every single person I know, your two lists, the thing you said were important and the things you actually spend time on bear no resemblance to one another. You know, the random guy who ranked at religion, family, friends, career, and freedom? Log his time, you'll find his waking hours are 70% working at the car dealership, 20% Chicago Cubs fandom, and 10% avoiding conversations with his family. His service to the Lord consists of tolerating one hour of church a week, and his dedication to freedom involves voting once every other decade. And just be clear, the good-sounding life philosophy he listed earlier was not intended to make himself sound good to other people. It's what he tells himself. You know, that guy you saw at Whole Foods who really does think in his own mind that saving the environment is right at the top of his list. But his total time and energy spent on the cause adds up to occasionally spending an extra dollar on organic tomatoes. So there you go. If you want to know where you'll be five years from now, you don't need a crystal ball. Just look at your philosophy of life your real one, the one based on actual time spent. That's who you are. And that's who you'll be five years from now, or 10, or 20. You are what you spend time doing. Good night, everyone. I'm just kidding. No, that'd, be a, that'd be a very depressing sermon if I ended it there. So. so why is this? Why are the things that we value and the things that we do so different from one another? Unfortunately, I don't have an easy answer for you, and I wish it was easy as like, let's all quit our jobs and go live on a Jewish farm. You know, but real life is a lot more complicated than that. If I could start my own life over from scratch, there are a lot of things that I would probably do differently. And if I did, then maybe the image of who I want to be and the reality of who I actually am would look a lot more alike. But it's not so easy to restart your life from scratch. But I'm going to give you some good news today. If you're looking at these two lists and you're not happy with what you see, I'm telling you, you can restart your life with God over again. Because restarting is what Rosh Hashanah is all about. It's about repentance, forgiveness, renewal, new beginnings. A few days ago, we had our Rosh Hashanah service here. You know, it's a strange thing about this service. We're taught that Rosh Hashanah is the judgment day of mankind. The righteous get to live another year, the wicked are condemned, and the rest of us fall somewhere in between. We have between until Yom Kippur to get, between now and Yom Kippur to get our acts together. And we should be spending Rosh Hashanah begging God for forgiveness and promising to mend our ways. But as anyone who was with us last Sunday night and Monday morning can tell you, Rosh Hashanah is a joyous holiday. You know, we eat special foods, we wear sneakers to synagogue. You know, we go to the beach. We have a good. We generally have a good time. Instead of praying for forgiveness, we spend the day proclaiming God as king. So why is this? How can we be so optimistic in the face of judgment? Well, the the Talmud teaches us that every Jewish holiday commemorates an event in the history of the world. On Passover, we relive the exodus from Egypt. On Purim, we we relive the deliverance of the Jewish people from Haman. But what event does Rosh Hashanah help us to relive? The rabbis teach us that Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, was the day that God created the world itself. And for us, on every Rosh Hashanah after, we relive that act of creation, the making of the world anew. Every year, we are imbued with the same spiritual energy that was present at the creation of the world. And this is why we're not afraid on Rosh Hashanah. We don't need to live in fear of our sins from the previous year, On Rosh Hashanah God makes all things new again, including us and our relationship with him. So God has renewed his relationship with us already. Now the rest is up to us. God has given us this incredible opportunity to become closer to him, to become more like the people we want to be in him. The question is, do you want to change? Do you really want to be a person who puts God first? I think we all say that we do, but I think one of the biggest things holding us back from making real change in our lives is that most people don't know how to want correctly. And it's not our fault either. It's actually a failing in the English language. We use the same word, want, to mean two completely different things. And the constant confusion between those definitions is why so many people are disappointed in how their lives turned out. Depending on the context, want can be, A, a statement of intended action, you know, I want to mow the lawn before it rains, or B, I'm sorry, a statement of general preference, you know, I want everyone to live a long and happy life. It sounds simple enough, but the confusion between those two uses of the words is everything. We switch between the two definitions sometimes in the same sentence. So let me give you an example. Uh, Last week, I drove to Five Guys Burgers to get a super deluxe burger and like an entire grocery bag full of fries that comes with it. So as I was driving back home, I saw this guy jogging with his shirt off. And he had a torso like Matthew McConaughey. And so reaching into my bag to shove a handful of fries in my mouth, I was like, man, I want a body like that. (laughs) You know, know, if I had pulled over and asked that guy why he jogs and works out, he would probably answer with the almost exact same words. Because I want a body like this. Same phrasing, meaning two completely different things. I used want in the same way that I say I want world peace. It's a wistful statement about something I actually have no control over. You know, if it's the same either way, I mean, sure, I'll I'll take the rock-hard abs. You know, give me an ab pill, I'll swallow it. You know, otherwise, no, it's not happening. So, that jogging guy, on the other hand, used want as a statement of intended action. He wants to run five miles every day because he wants to be fit. And that's the point I found as time goes on that everybody gets what they want. Not what they say they want in order to make themselves look good to others or what they tell themselves so they can feel better about the current state of their lives. I'm talking about what they really want. And to find out what they really want, you don't need to ask them. You just need to look at what they did today. If you want to change, you start with today. So I'm going to share something personal with you guys. Uh, I recently went to the doctors, and I was told that I have a, a bacterial infection and that the infection will never, ever go away. I was told it will literally eat away a crucial part of my digestive system, and the only way I can prevent that from happening is to do a chemical treatment twice a day, every day, for the rest of my life, as well as painful follow-up treatments with my doctor several times a year. It's, uh, it's not a death sentence, but I can see like the burden stretching out in front of me forever, And the sheer weight of it makes me want to just give up sometimes. Except not really, because what I just described to you was brushing my teeth. Nobody regards dental care as a crushing burden, because you don't sit around every day contemplating the unfathomable amount of of teeth brushing you must scale before you die. You just think of it as something you do in the morning, because you have to, because you don't want your teeth to fall out. You manage the long-term goal by thinking only of the very manageable daily goal. This is the secret to real change. If you solve all your problems the way you brush your teeth, you can conquer the world. Start with today and take it one day at a time. Any great long-term project or meaningful change that seems impossible to most people, from building a house to writing a book to becoming a prayer warrior, is possible to the people who do them only because they don't focus just on the end goal. That's only what you have to do today. Don't misunderstand me. They, they don't ignore the goal. It's just that they don't regard what they do today and what they want to have ten years from now as separate things. The future isn't a fanciful wish. It's just the end of a long chain of today's. What you do today and what you want to be long-term are the same thing. You know, I, I hate to use myself as any kind of example because I don't want to sound like I'm boasting, but I, have, I, I am proud of an accomplishment I made a few years ago. When I was 29, I resolved that by the time my 30th birthday rolled around, I was no longer going to have the physique of Winnie the Pooh stuck in rabbit's hole, you know. I decided I was going to drop down from 230 to 230 pounds to 150 pounds in one year's time. That's 80 pounds! That's like a whole 12-year-old! You know? <laughs> but I was able to do it, because I never thought of it as having to lose 80 pounds by next April. I told myself I just need to lose one and a half pounds this week. I don't need to give up my favorite junk foods for the rest of my life. I just need to not eat them today. Four years later, the weight is still off, and I still use the same technique to accomplish any difficult thing that I set my mind to. Some people uh, might have noticed I've been wearing this ribbon tied around my wrist for the last few weeks. During the month of a lull, a time when we're supposed to be preparing our hearts for the high holy days, I took a look at my life and I realized that my personal I believe-ins didn't have maintaining my relationship with the Lord anywhere close to the top ten. I needed a lot more prayer in my life. So I tie this ribbon around my wrist where I can look at it 100 times a day and be reminded that I need God in my life and I need to pray today. I don't need to worry about all the praying I've just committed to doing for the next 40 or 50 years. I just need to worry about what I need to do today to be the person I want to be tomorrow. I asked you before if you wanted a real change in your life. If you want a philosophy of life that doesn't have to look like this, I want to end on an encouraging note. God has given us a glimpse of what a life where we put him first looks like. I ask you all to use your last Thursday as your template for what you spend your time doing. Well, what if we switched that day to Shabbat? What if instead of this, our lives could look like this? God gave us the Shabbat so that we could experience what the world to come will be like every single week. So that we could learn to lay our time at the feet of the Lord so that we can know what it feels like to live lives that we truly believe in. The days of R Ar are just about at an end. Yom Kippur is right around the corner. That's not really enough time to change our whole lives. That's barely enough time to get that sukkah in the backyard built. But it is enough time to change your relationship with God. All he asks is you start with today. Thank you, everybody. shalom.